Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And this week we are looking at the very topical subject of oil. We saw oil prices trade for the first time in history at minus for a barrel of oil. In other words, minus $40, you got paid for taking physical delivery of oil. How has that circumstance come about? How has it affected oil prices at the petrol pump? Where are the investment opportunities and what can you be doing right now provision for you and your family and take advantage of a very unique, hopefully one-off set of circumstances. Hope you enjoy the show. See you in the broadcast. Hey there guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host Andrew Baxter, and as always, my faithful companion and outsider, Mr. Mitchell Mitchell. That is me, Mr. Baxter, and I've got a very topical topic, um, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the almighty fall and rise of oil. Wow. There's a lot going on at the moment. People are talking about negative oil prices, Saudi Arabia flexing their muscles, mm. people trading oil futures, but what does it all mean? Let's break it down. Okay, well, it's certainly the topical button, isn't it? And you know, for the first time in history, we saw negative oil prices uh, yesterday in the marketplace. What does that mean? What is, how do you actually possibly get negative oil prices? Okay. The key thing to understand about oil is obviously a physical commodity. You know, we live in a world these days where you have this synthetic money, you crypto, and you've just got you know, fake money to all intents and purposes, and uh, you know, it's not gold standard. Oil is a physical commodity. In other words, if you buy a barrel of oil, it's a real thing. There's a barrel of oil there. And in this instance, you've got to store it somewhere. And in the markets, there's enormous speculative trade on these commodities, particularly crude oil, it's one of the most heavily traded commodities in the world. I've traded a lot of it myself. And we got to the crunch point where there really is nowhere to store it. The, we'll talk, I'm sure, in a minute about Saudi and Russia. Now, these guys have been pumping oil like there's no tomorrow. So there's this huge wave, literally, of oil coming and it's hit the market and there's nowhere to put it. Most of the storage facilities around the world are chock-a-block. We've got people renting oil tankers to just moor up and try and store the stuff somewhere. Um, you clowns in here yesterday were trying to convince me to do that on my farm down in Barham. You can't imagine the environmental fallout if we stored oil down there. You can just pour it into the lake if you don't want it. Water catchment area, not going to happen. I'll be the scourge of the borough. But, um, so, yeah, that physical delivery has caused enormous problems. And so people saying, well, I've got this oil, I've got to put it somewhere and I need to move it, take it away. And that's why you got negative price of oil for the first time in history. And is that simply because we're just not using it? I mean, with everything going on with Corona, we're not flying and our cars are sitting mm -hmm. idle, so there's probably really no use for it. Well, that's right. I mean, the, the, the actual, like anything, prices, you know, classic economics, price equilibrium, what price is, is set when supply and demand meet. Now, if we take a step back and talk about what's been going on for the last couple of months pre-coronavirus, Russia and Saudi Arabia have been in loggerheads. So there's OPEC, the oil producing exporting company, countries. Um, Saudi Arabia and, oil, uh, and Russia have decided that they want to secure market share for whatever reason. And so they've been pumping well in excess of what they should be in terms of oil, which is given a glut in the marketplace uh, to try and secure various distribution channels around the world. Now, the interesting thing, what happens when supply increases more than demand is that there's an oversupply, so prices then start to drift down, which under normal circumstance is actually not a bad thing. You know, you think about the euphoria you have when you're driving your car and you go to the garage and, you know, it's gone from being $1.40 a litre to maybe $1.30, you think, well, that's a win. You know? Perfect. And, and so there's a benefit to you. Under normal circumstances, you know, lower prices are a great thing. But we're not in normal circumstance, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. So getting back to Saudi and Russia, uh, these countries, Saudi's production costs are lowest in the world. They're about $20 a barrel. So as long as oil is above 20 bucks a barrel, they're making money. But what they need it to be is about $60 a barrel to balance their budget. They're a country that spends massively 
uh, in terms of infrastructure uh, for its citizens, healthcare, education, and the like. Um, but also, it's going through a transitional shift where it's starting to try and set itself up for life after oil. And so it's investing massively in lots of things to do that. So it's got a budget, it's got to support. Russia's much the same, their production costs are a touch higher, but their budget balancer is slightly lower. So for them, having lower oil prices isn't such a bad thing until it drops below what they need it to be to, supply, to, to balance out their government deficits and their budgets there. And that's exactly what we've hit. Prices have dropped massively because as you rightly say, there's no demand. And you can look at this anecdotally, you know, most people are in lockdown. So aviation fuel demand has dropped 56% this month, one month. So that normal steady static demand, you know, aircraft schedules are pretty set in time. I live on a plane. So you think, okay, these schedules are, are planned out six, 12 months in advance. So you know what demand is gonna be. All of a sudden, someone's just switched off and said, there's no flying anymore. So there's this huge oversupply of aviation fuel which price now. If you think about your average mum and dad, you're not driving your car. You know, I, I, you know, I, I had this conversation with my wife, I said, do you want me to fill your car up the other day? And she said, no, and it's got the same fuel and it's had for a month because you're not driving anywhere, whereas normally you've got to fill it up every week. So that lack of demand is also impacted, and so prices have dropped substantially. Not enough, but they've dropped substantially. And, and again, under normal circumstances, that lower price is really good for the economy. Why? Because it's the same as having a tax cut. If you spend, or if you have to fill your car up every week, and say it costs $80 to fill it up. If it now costs $60 to fill it up, that's $20 more in your pocket. That you can go and spend. you can go and spend somewhere else. Okay, because demand for oil is normally pretty fixed. It's just at the moment, it's evaporated, which sure. causes this huge drama. So we're not even seeing the benefit of that tax cut because no one's buying the stuff to get the benefit of having more cash to then inject into the economy. So it's a really quirky situation. I mean, you think about it, it actually, it's, it, people are paying other people to take oil off their hands. I mean, I mean, you know, for the average person out there, you know, cheaper fuel is so much better. You put it into perspective on a global economic basis is that, you know, the cost of production is actually higher than what people are willing to pay for it. It's a weird concept. Yeah. Has this ever happened before? No. This is a unique set of circumstances. It's nice to talk about something for the first time. How was it for you your first time? <laughs> um, yeah, the reality is this is a unique a unique set of circumstance. And you know, no one's got a game plan for this other than going back to what normally happens. Now, if we go back to say the GFC and an awful lot of people have likened the current market correction to the GFC, it's very different because the GFC was primarily in the banking sector and financial services. This is so broad based, it's, it's a different thing. During the GFC, um, you know, oil prices actually went up. I think they peaked out at about $140, $145 a barrel. And why is that? Demand was very, very strong. Um, and that was what was driving price up. I mean, you know, back then, you know, look at China in the mid 2000s, economic growth would have been what, 12, 13, 14% a year? Double digit growth. Double digit growth. Uh, and for several years in succession, now it's maybe five, 6%, so it's slowed down considerably. So that, that, that huge demand that was sucking the price up isn't there, um, which again is, is, an, is an extremely unusual set of circumstances, so very much unique. This also impacts, of course, on governments. Uh, if we take the Australian government right now, where there's enormous amounts of government subsidies going into things like JobKeeper, JobSeeker, and just about every kind of allowance that you can imagine right now, and you know, subsidies for certain sectors and not for others. Uh, we won't get into that right now, but it's obviously been quite topical with, with Virgin and Qantas, one getting a hand out, one not. There's plenty going on. But governments are going to be affected by this too, because if you think about a litre of fuel, and these figures are absolutely standing, most people probably wouldn't know this. So, I drove past the petrol station this morning, 
and it was, I think, 90 cents, 91 cents a litre. God, that's cheap. Isn't it, compared to what it should be, but is that really the price it should be? Now, within that 91 cents a litre here in Australia, you've got 10% GST, okay, so let's take nine cents off, leave you at 81 cents, but there's also a whopping 42 cents a litre fuel excise levied by the government. And that's like a tax, right? That's tax going straight into the federal coffers. So over 50%, nearly 60% of the price of fuel right now is either GST or fuel excise, which is incredible. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, Australia has been consistently over the years priding themselves on having the lowest fuel tax. Mm. Is that necessarily the case anymore? No, and I think that's also been a skewed figure because we've also been paying artificially higher levels for fuel than we should. I mean, you know, if you take what the ACCC's role has been uh, in supervising uh, you know, fair fuel prices at the pump, and everybody knows what we're talking about here, you know, there's isn't the elephant in the room, let's just get it out there. If you buy fuel going into a weekend or particularly a long weekend, you're going to pay more for it. That lag factor of when the price of fuel comes down, when oil prices, doesn't happen that quickly. And no, it's because of the Singapore refining cycle, there's currency moves. You break it all back. You know, it's a, it's a rule, but you can understand if there's so much revenue being raised in there, no one's going to put any pressure to get those prices down to fair value. And to be fair, having low oil prices isn't always a good thing. If, if you're an oil producing company, and we'll talk about some of the winners and losers out of this in just a few months because there are some ripper, cracking investment opportunities in this, but you've got to be able to see through the mist and actually identify where they are. Absolutely, and I know we could probably we might touch on that you know, towards the end. Just to keep people safe. Just to keep people, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> what I want to talk about is, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a genius, you know, oil prices are at an all-time low, mm. you know. What are the knock-on effects? Because we can just say, you know, segregate the energy and oil sector, but what about things like airlines, so Boeing, you know, mm. companies like Tesla, for example? Mm. What kind of knock-on effects should we expect to see? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Now, let, let's talk about the oil industry, first of all. You know, when the value that you get for your product, and again, this is the big challenge with OPEC. OPEC is effectively a price cartel that sets the price of oil, and it is the only industry and sector in the world where that's allowed to happen. Everywhere else, it's illegal to have a cartel setting prices to get oil. <laughs> As you think to be okay, right? It's, <laughs> a, it's a crazy notion, and maybe that's something that comes up for review. Yeah, there are a number of countries that actually are not members of OPEC, Venezuela being a very good example. A lot of people don't realize this. Venezuela's uh, oil reserves are actually about 40% bigger than Saudi Arabia. Incredible, right? Wow. And so if they get their act together government-wise and, and settle down and actually turn into what they could be, it should be one of the most wealthy countries on the planet. Great, you know, great environment for its citizens, which sadly at the moment is not the case. So for, for com companies that are oil producers, the problem is if it's costing you more to get out of the ground than what you're getting for your product every time you pull a barrel of your product, you are effectively losing money. Now that's just in terms of production costs. Now the US has gone through a monumental shift in its oil consumption and production, in fact, over the last sort of 15, 20 years. And one of the big sectors over there is, is shale oil. Yeah, everyone's pulled the, the, the easy stuff out of the ground and you know the Texas oil boom and all that sort of stuff going on. And, and shale is a much more expensive way of getting oil out of the ground. It's still very good quality oil, but the actual process not just for um, sourcing it, but actually the extraction of it is not only great, for, it's not particularly good for the environment, but it's also quite an expensive thing to undertake. So you've got a whole sector of shale oil companies in the US and Canada, which have meant that you know, the US has become a net exporter of petroleum products, believe it or not. It's not an importer, it's an exporter, but its cost of doing that is relatively high. 
No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if you know, the Saudis and Russians, neither of whom are that friendly with the US these days, have gone, yeah, right, let's see what we can do here and really turn the screw on this. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. But hey, let's park that to the side for the moment. That's not what this podcast is about. So investing opportunities in oil companies, very, very bad place to look at right now. Even if there's a recovery in prices from this immediate shock low, you know, cost of production is, is, is so high relative to low. These companies have got a huge amount of debt too, especially in the shale oil space, and they're seeking subsidy from the US government and the Fed right now to, to try and ensure that they're able to stay in business. Absolutely, and I think I heard a re- or I read on the news this morning is that Trump made some uh, pompous announcement that if any uh, Iranian sort of based ship came towards the US, mm-hmm. that the Navy would shoot them down. Absolutely. The energy sector rallied 5% mm-hmm. overnight in recovery of that. It's a really interesting dynamic market. It is. I mean, global tensions are running pretty high. Um, you know, not forgetting, of course, it's an election year for President Trump as well. Um, so, you know, oil companies and particularly shale oil companies, dreadful place to be looking right now. But where are some of the knock-on effects? And, and you've got to think more obliquely with this. And I guess this is the advantage for our clients is they're able to leverage off our experience. You know, people like myself and Gibbs, uh, Mr. Andrew Gibbs, yeah, we've been in markets now, you know, 25, 30 years. So this is not the first time we've seen things like this, although it's unique. Uh, working through the processes of finding investment opportunities is the same. It's just the scenario that's changed. Okay. So if you think about the GFC, now during the GFC, we saw oil prices move up. So companies like Boeing and Airbus were under incredible pressure to develop new aircraft that were far more energy efficient because at 145 bucks a barrel, you know, the airline industry, it, it, it's, it's brutal running an airline when that's your cost. So they've gone out and invested and developed technology like the 787 uh, and I think the A350 are the two leaders uh, of the pack in that space in terms of, and it's interesting what they measure, it's usually gallons uh, per mile per passenger seat is usually the ratio. And these okay. are more efficient, efficient aircraft. So they've spent billions investing in aircraft that are more fuel efficient. But is there going to be a demand for those aircraft at these current low levels? And so for the aviation space, not just airlines, which is the obvious one, no one's flying, but the airline manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus, let's take Boeing as an example. Boeing was in a little bit of strife before all of this. You know, you had the 737 MAX issues where a couple of aircraft crashed due to the the digital systems on board. You also had a situation where passenger numbers were slowing down naturally and you had some cancellation of orders. Um, and, And that's something that's accelerated. So an airline that's maybe ordered in advance another 10 or 12 aircraft right now is probably tearing up those orders, which is bad news for Boeing because they're expecting those orders that had deposits paid for them. But secondly, if fuel costs aren't that important at the moment in terms of your running costs, you don't need to upgrade your fleet for billions of dollars into these new low energy or lower energy consuming aircraft. You can maintain your existing fleet. So this is likely to be a real problem for Boeing going forward. Slow down in new orders. No one needs to upgrade their fleet. Refunds on deposits of what's been ordered and lower passenger numbers. Not a great scenario there. And that's a stock that I've been looking at very, very carefully uh, for a strategy we call M8, uh, which is very specifically looking for that drifting lower uh, share price activity. Another one will be in the in the electric car space. You know, we look at Tesla and although the share price has been quite robust. In times of difficulty, you know, when, when the economy is running really well and everyone's flush with cash, that notion of supporting good causes and being more environmentally aware and greener with their investing and living. Donating to charity. Donating to charity. All those things happen very naturally. When things get pretty tough and you're back to the wall, which so many people are right now, forget about your principles. You've got to put food on the table for your family. It's more about survival. It's about survival. And those companies that are in those 
more environmentally exposed niches can quite often suffer as well. And I wonder, you know, how many people have bought a Tesla for environmental reasons versus how many people have bought a Tesla for economic reasons. And that economic reason is starting to diminish because the cost of filling your car up with you know, petrol or diesel is starting to come down. So these are the sorts of things that we look at when we're working on our investment strategies to, to, to kind of dive deep and put these opportunities in front of their clients so they can profit from this. That's really interesting. And I think having that fundamental you know, understanding of what drives companies and then how you can relate the current situation mm -hmm. to it is pivotal. And so many of our clients that get this right often get the best results. Mm -hmm. you know, correct me if I'm wrong there. Let's talk a little bit about you know, how maybe someone who's looking to get started or maybe new in the game of trading and investing can actually trade this current market, not just the corona stuff, but the oil stuff. Okay, oil, how do you trade it right now? I always remember the analogy, you know, what's your best buy, hold, uh, and uh, sell? And it's like buy a parachute, hold on tight, and sell everything. <laughs> in terms of oil, I think um, that, that may be something that's not a bad parallel to look at here. And for the untrained investor, it's a very tricky space to play. I've spent an enormous amount of time in my career trading in the futures markets as well. And trading crude oil futures is really the big boy's end of town. That's tough. It's one of the most heavily traded commodities in the world. And the big guys are in there. There is no charity in that market whatsoever. But it's also a market that, that, that can make you large amounts of money or it can indeed make you donate large amounts of money too by being on the right or wrong side. The great thing about it, you haven't got to pick a company, just take a view of this crude going up or down. Now, the challenge you have if you're trading crude oil futures, for every one cent that crude oil moves by is $1,000 in change of value on the futures contract. That's crazy. Mm. So it, Your money can disappear <laughs> or blow up. Yeah, in a half a session kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you can do some real damage to yourself in there. So, you know, trading crude futures, you know, CL is the code for the crude future. Uh, CLC is the, CLC1 is the continuous trading contract. But, and you can have a look at that. So what I suggest for most retail investors is do not play in that space. <laughs> um, some of the other places that are softer to go to would be things like um, either exchange-traded funds or CFDs. So if we talk about CFDs for a moment, imagine the futures contract, the big bad futures contract I just told you, one cent is a thousand bucks. Think about that as a loaf of bread. Now, by using CFDs, what you can trade, instead of trading the whole loaf, you can just trade a slice or two slices or three slices of that loaf to suit your budget. So you can take fractions of that contract. So if you just want to trade what's going on in crude, trading a CFD on the crude oil future might be a way of limiting the size of the move on your account. Okay. But again, that's, that's, this is an entry level for most mom and dad investors. Exchange traded funds, pretty simple way of doing it. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Um, USO is the obvious one, but USO, typically the, the, the correlation of US oil is actually on oil futures rather than the actual physical underlying commodity. Um, for anyone that wants to know which ETFs we trade in there, we've got three or four on a hit list. We've got a couple that are geared. We've got a couple that are ungeared, both bullish if prices are going up and bearish on the way down. So reach out to us, hit us up and say, hey, what would you recommend? Feel free to contact us on social media. We can we can point you in that direction. Um, so there are a couple of ways of doing it. Trading the oil company is another one. Uh, you know, we've had short-term trades this week on companies like Origin, for example. We were looking for that, that quick pop. Nice smash and grab strategy, quite a safe way of doing that versus just buying and holding long-term. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think there's so many strategies you can employ around this. And knowing those economic factors is pivotal. So listening to this podcast for those investors out there, hopefully we'll give them some firepower to go and pull the trigger. <laughs> it's an unnerving one because it's some, something that's new, but everything was new once. And you've just got to work it out. And, 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 and sometimes breaking these things down into their component parts to, to try and identify 
the logical approach to this. So if you don't want to trade crude oil, look at oil companies. If you don't want to trade oil companies, take a fundamental view on companies that will be impacted by oil prices. We've talked about Boeing uh, as a good example of that in terms of you know, future demand for product. And that's what investing successfully is all about. It's not that knee-jerk reaction, oh my God, crude's minus $40 a barrel, what do we do here? It's unraveling and unpacking it to say, okay, where in that is there an opportunity? And normally, low prices like this would be a great gift opportunity to the economy, which truly needs it. In this case, it won't be, uh, because the demand simply isn't there. The fall in revenue for the government when they desperately need it isn't there. It's bad news for our oil producers. If we look at companies like Woodside, or you know, in the US, Chevron and Exxon being the two real big guys over there, it's very bad news in the shale space. And from an environmental point of view, I think it's got the capacity to really set back the progress that we've made on switching out of carbon-based energy to environmental energy because all of a sudden, and as I alluded to with Tesla, not all decisions are made because of the environment. Most often, those big commercial decisions are based on dollars. And if it's cheaper to have non-carbon energy, we'll do it. But if it's cheaper to have carbon energy, we'll stay where we are. And it just happens that when those costs get out of equilibrium and it's cheaper to use green energy, that's when the environment gets a kicker. And we all know our environment needs looking after, and this is something with lower oil prices that might be a real tragedy and set us back quite significantly on our carbon emissions. Absolutely. Maybe we need to take a, a leaf out of Elon Musk's book and just smoke a joint on a podcast with Joe Rogan or something like that. I think that would also be carbon emission, wouldn't it? There must be some sort of oh, carbon maybe. emission if you're smoking. Pros and cons to everything. It certainly make people a little bit more relaxed than what they're doing. <laughs> that's for sure. But, you know, it really is an incredible space to see. And these are days that we'll look back on both as professional investors and for our viewers and listeners to, to, to this show. The day that oil was minus $40 a barrel is incredible. And, you know, I hate making huge calls, but I don't think you'll see that happen again in your lifetime. It's certainly the first time it's happened in mine. But there's such a unique confluence of circumstances that have come together to do this. And when unique opportunities present themselves, it doesn't mean to say that there's no investment opportunity that you've just got to think more laterally. And I hope that's what we've done in terms of, you know, peeling the onion and saying, well, oil price is one thing, but where are the opportunities in this for people that are listening to this to be able to make money? And understand this isn't profiting from someone's misery. This is helping everyday people be able to look after their families and not be reliant on government support by managing their money more effectively. That's our whole mission and purpose with what we do here at Money Investing and more broadly, of course, with Australian Investment Education. And anyone in that situation, what would you say to them, Andrew? Reach out for a conversation with us. Um, most people have got the gift of time right now, which is something that they haven't had. They're at home. Instead of being, I saw Netflix results last night, another 15.8 million new subscribers to that service. Instead of sitting there gorging yourself on reruns of something that's going to make you feel good for 20 minutes, set yourself up for the rest of your life by learning how to invest successfully and uh, maybe buy some Netflix shares as well. <laughs> there we go. I might go and jump on that myself. Mm. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure to get your take on this. So much good content in there and a good, really broad economic overview. So I do thank you. My pleasure, Mr. Anytime. Cheers. Well, there is history in the making, negative prices for oil. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.